Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, and I love building those same-game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio, so use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We're just going to be hitting three games from last night today. The national television doubleheader between the Warriors and the Wolves and the Clippers and the Nuggets. And then Damian Lillard dropped 71 points on the Houston Rockets. I have some thoughts about Dame's loyalty to the Portland Trailblazers 
as well as some thoughts on the overarching NBA theme of massive individual scoring outbursts, which I think is super interesting. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. Then if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So um, the Warriors were down 96-87 about halfway through the fourth quarter. Nas Reed in particular was killing them uh, in the absence of Draymond Green. Uh, he had 30 points and nine rebounds in this game. His skill set kind of reminds me of Boogie Cousins in the sense that he's almost like a perimeter big, can handle the hell out of the basketball, can dribble it. And then he has that like natural scoring feel we've talked a lot about, which is like that creativity mixed with the skill set and then an irrational confidence. Those are like all those ingredients that you need to be that natural type of score. I'm actually really interested to see how he factors into Minnesota's plans uh, or if they end up attempting to move off of him at some point. And if if so, where he ends up and where he can fit elsewhere in the league because he's actually a super interesting player who's had a super interesting season. Uh, but as a result, the Warriors were down 96-87. And down the stretch of this game, they showed some, some vintage Golden State Warriors execution. And then Klay Thompson... Flash some really high-level individual shot creation, which is something that hasn't exactly been a focal point of Klay Thompson's career, but he's had to lean on it a lot in this particular season as the Warriors have needed him to because of injuries. And so I want to go, we haven't done this in a while, but I want to kind of go play-by-play down the stretch of this game and so I can highlight those two specific factors because I think they're super interesting and I think they factor big time into Golden State's eventual ceiling in a potential playoff run if they were to get healthy. So from 96-87, it started on the defensive end with the Warriors doing what a lot of teams do, ignoring a player that they don't view as a shooting threat. They started helping off of Austin Rivers in the right corner. So uh, Jonathan Kaminga was guarding Austin Rivers, and he was able to help down into the lane to shut down the other uh, Timberwolves actions playing five on four defensively and Austin Rivers missed back-to-back wide open threes in the corners. I think that just kind of got them started and on the on the um, on the first one Dante DiVincenzo grabbed the miss and pushed the ball up the floor and found a semi-transition opportunity. He was being guarded by Jordan McLaughlin and I talk about this all the time when there's no when there's a transition situation, your help defense isn't set. And so there's opportunities to attack the rim before the defense gets set. And that's a big part of why it's important to push in transition. There's no point in facing a set defense if you don't have to. He ends up hitting Jordan McLaughlin with a really nice behind-the-back dribble, gets down the lane, and makes a little scoop shot in the lane. After the second Austin Rivers miss, Clay Thompson comes through an elevator screen. Elevator screen basically involves uh, two screeners kind of at the elbow maybe a little bit higher than the elbow in the NBA, but the shooter will run through the screen and then the two guys will touch shoulders and shut the door. And they shut the door on Anthony Edwards and Clay Thompson knocked down a three. So that kind of got them back in the groove. They went from being down nine to down four. From there, after they just got two stops, Steve Kerr switched to a zone defense, a 2-3 zone kind of extended out to the perimeter. And they had just gotten two stops. And that's what I like it is because it's about... To me, I, I, I look at these are execution elements of the game that you attribute to the coach, but I love it when you mix up coverages. A lot of times coaches will mix up coverages just as a means of countering something that's killing them, right? Like, okay, 
they're killing us in drop coverage, so we have to start switching. Okay, well, they're killing our big in switches, so now we need to start double teaming or trapping the ball handler or offering help out of the weak side to play three on two in the pick and roll defensively. What you don't see often enough in the NBA is mixing up coverages even when they are working. And the reason why I like that is it prevents ball handlers from seeing the same coverage enough time, enough times to then solve that coverage. So for instance, like Austin Rivers is a professional basketball player. If you keep running that same coverage, helping off of him in the corner with Jonathan Kaminga, he might eventually derive the necessary amount of confidence to knock that shot down. But by quickly switching to zone, you fundamentally change the way the Wolves have to play offense on the fly and you prevent them from ever getting into that rhythm. Then you can go back to it a few possessions later and it's a completely different situation again at that point. So they go to zone and they uh, end up getting a, a, a Nas Reed contested three at the top of the key that he ends up missing. This is where Clay Thompson, the on-ball shot creator, kicks into gear. And there's four players, or four plays in particular that I want to highlight. <clears throat> and again, Clay Thompson, I've talked about this a lot. We just talked about it the other day. He's the second best shooter of all time, in my opinion. But he's mostly been an off-ball player in his career. He, you know, almost prides himself on limiting dribbles, which is part of what makes him such a complimentary fit in the Warrior system when they are healthy. And it's a big part of why it works no matter who they brought in over the years, including Kevin Durant. But you never really think of him as that on-ball creator. And that's an entirely different set of offensive responsibilities. You're not navigating, you're not, you're not using off-ball actions, you're not taking advantage of attention directed towards Steph Curry, you're not running second-side action when the defense is already rotating. No, everyone is loaded up on you. You are the focal point. You're drawing the other team's best defender. Down the stretch of this game, he drew a lot of Jaden McDaniels. And in that set defense situation, you have to create shots. And and Clay has been kind of great at this over the course of this season when guys have been out of the lineup. And I think it's been an underplayed storyline within the season. So it's 96 to 92 after that elevator screen and, and Nas Reed misses the three. There's five and a half minutes left. Clay gets the ball in the corner in a broken possession. And the clock is running out. Austin Rivers is on him. And he ends up taking a rip through to his left and then quick spinning towards the baseline in the deep corner and he knocks down a shot off the glass. Caught a little bit of the corner of the backboard, but when you're shooting out of the deep corner, there's just not a lot of space between the rim and the backboard. It kind of just barely grazed it and went in. Um, but that's a great example of rescuing possessions, which is one of the core responsibilities of a primary ball handler. Not everything goes right, especially at the end of games. And you need guys that can just take and make extremely tough shots. And Clay Thompson started this self-creation uh, sequence with that spinning fadeaway in the right corner, and that's not the last time he's going to do that in this game. So they go down to the other end. Nas Reed ends up getting fouled under the basket, and he misses both free throws. And Dante DiVincenzo goes down and makes a nice reverse layup to tie the game. Dante DiVincenzo was great down the stretch of this game. Um, so Minnesota calls a timeout. It's 96-96. Kyle Anderson goes down, and he makes a really weird twisting fadeaway in the lane, gets fouled. Now it's 99-96. This is where we get to Clay's second bit of high-level shot creation. So he's standing on the left wing, and he's got uh, uh, Mike Conley on him, and Anthony Lamb is standing over there with Nas Reed on him. Uh, actually, I think Clay Thompson was at the top of the key, and Anthony Lamb was at the left wing. So he calls Nas Reed to, uh, calls Anthony Lamb to come over and set the ball screen, knowing that he's probably going to draw Nas Reed in at least a show, if not like a normal kind of drop coverage up at the level of the screen. Clay Thompson just dribbles off that pick, 
draws both Mike Conley and Nas Reed towards him, floats the pass down to uh, over the top to Anthony Lamb at the top of the key. Jonathan Kaminga does a nice job cutting through the lane, which pulls Jaden McDaniels down with him and gets Anthony Lamb a wide-open three at the top of the key that he makes. That's a simple bit of on-ball shot creation. Just a quick ball screen. See if they're dumb enough to send both guys to you. You might be able to get your teammate a wide-open shot, and he did. Now it's 99-99. This is where we're going to get into a little bit of Golden State's execution, this time on the defensive end of the floor. So at 99-99, Anthony Edwards has Jonathan Kaminga in the left corner, and he starts driving along the baseline, and he gets an angle. And every single Golden State Warrior involved in this play does their job defensively and forces a turnover. So first of all, Jonathan Kaminga, you get beat baseline. What's your first responsibility? You're not trying to cut him off at that point because you're probably not going to be able to. He's too good of an athlete. But if you can just push him behind the backboard – that takes away his ability to finish at least directly at the rim because the backboard's in the way, right? He's going to have to go underneath the rim and try to finish a reverse. Jonathan Kaminga does his job. He slides his feet and pushes Anthony Edwards towards the baseline. Then from there, Kyle Anderson's in the corner and Dante DiVincenzo helps down to stop Anthony Edwards from being able to regain leverage back towards the rim. He gets in there and basically traps Anthony Edwards along the baseline. Anthony Edwards tries to throw a left-handed hook pass to the corner, and Jordan Poole, who's guarding uh, Jaden McDaniels on the right wing, rotates down to the corner and picks off the Anthony Edwards pass. Everyone did their job. Even Dante, when he trapped down there on the baseline, got a deflection. I talk about this all the time. When you double-team or give up any sort of defensive advantage by sending multiple defenders to one player – one of the best ways to help your team rotate out of it is to pressure the ball so hard that you can tip the pass or force a looping pass as opposed to an on-time, on-target pass. That deflection from Dante DiVincenzo allowed Jordan Poole sprinted to the baseline and then actually had to recover back to the corner, and he was able to get there in time because Dante deflected the pass. It was it was uh, that kind of like sharp defensive execution. I'm sure Draymond Green was watching the game and he was super impressed. But those are those little details that have been almost kind of missing from the Warriors this year, which is uncharacteristic of them. And that's going to be one of the things you have to watch from them down, to, down the stretch to see if they're a serious playoff contender this year. So 99-99, we get to Clay Thompson's third bit of high-level shot creation. So he has the ball in a triple threat on the left wing against Jaden McDaniels. And Jaden McDaniels has been an outstanding wing defender all year this year. And he's pressed up on Clay Thompson, taking away his shooting pocket. Clay kind of protects the basketball over on the right side. And what he does is he just pump fakes kind of like an awkward out of his shooting pocket pump fake. And the only reason that works is Clay might take that. Clay practices and takes a lot of funky jump shots from different gathers in different places in his shooting pocket. So it adds a credibility to that pump fake. Jaden McDaniels leaves his feet. And then Clay Thompson just rips through to the baseline, draws Nas Reed and Anthony Edwards at the rim. Mike Conley drops down off of Dante DiVincenzo to try to dig and box Kevon Looney out of the lane, and Dante DiVincenzo's wide open on the wing. Clay Thompson hits him right in the shooting pocket, and he knocks down the three. Now it's 102 to 99. Now from there we have a little back and forth. Mike Conley drives on uh, uh, on Dante DiVincenzo and doesn't see Anthony Lamb helping out of the strong side corner. Lamb blocks the shot, but then. Um, 
Dante DiVincenzo goes down the other way, and he misses an easy layup in transition. Then the Timberwolves go down, and Nas Reed misses another transition three. And then we get to Clay Thompson's fourth and final bit of high-level shot creation, which effectively ended up being the dagger in this game. So <clears throat> all he does is run a dribble handoff with Kevon Looney on the right wing. It's defended well, but he rises up over the contest and knocks down the shot. Kind of like a go-to move for Clay, which is just... I know that when push comes to shove, if I can get my footwork right because of my height and the quickness of my release, I will be able to get this shot off. And he can't just count on beating guys off the dribble all game long. He got that pump fake on Jaden McDaniels and made that play. He got Nas Reed to bite on a screen and roll earlier in an earlier possession, but sometimes he's going to have to demonstrate that he's going to rise up and knock down the shot to maintain that threat to create shots for his teammates. He rises up and knocks down the three over the contest and puts up the Warriors one, uh, 105 to 99, and that effectively ended up ending the game. And, you know, again, I, there's two things specifically from this stretch that I want to hit. Clay has done incredible work this season to float his team when guys have been out of the lineup. And by doing it, doing something that he's genuinely uncomfortable doing, which is on-ball creation, to me that demonstrates a uh, like a sheer force of will. I was talking about this yesterday with LeBron. Like, okay, everything's not working because your foot's all messed up. So now you're going to go just power your way to the rim every time because you just don't want to lose the game. That's the way I look at it from Clay. Of course he doesn't want to play like that. He wants to play the way he's been playing his entire career with the Warriors, navigating off-ball actions. But you need to adapt as your team needs you to, and Clay has been able to slot himself into an on-ball role and be credible for the Warriors this year. And that's a big part of why, once again, Clay, uh, Steph Curry has missed eight consecutive games, and the Warriors are 4-4. Four and four. Every time this year that Steph's gone down, the Warriors have been able to float the ship. And it's not just Clay; A lot of other guys have stepped up. Today, I'm just highlighting Clay in particular. But I think that, that, again, Clay's always been one of my favorite competitors in the league. And you saw that again last night when he went up to the uh, uh, when he went up to the Wolves bench and talked all the talked all that shit after he hit the dagger to put him up 105.99. But that he just has a competitive fire inside of him that is way underplayed when we talk about these championship teams. There's just there's we we're way too quick to just be like oh they're too, they have all the talent or oh it's this matchup or oh it's this or oh it's that and we don't properly factor in the fact that like the real psychopath competitors tend to find a way to be at the top of the hill when the dust settles um so tip of the cap to clay and then the second thing again was just that execution it's just specifically for golden state you know there's there's kind of like three things that you look at as the primary driving forces behind their struggles this year and it's like Primary players missing games, which we talked about earlier, and it's like bench depth, too many young guys in the rotation coming off the bench, but that third piece has been even the Warriors starters in particular have struggled a little bit with execution at the end of games, not just on the offensive end, but also on the defensive end, and so it was encouraging to see the Warriors execute, out-execute a Minnesota Timberwolves team to get a win down their three best players. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories 
from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at reservebar.com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com. The NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. My favorite bet this week is tomorrow night, the Lakers on the road in Memphis without LeBron James. Memphis is a six-point favorite, but they are a buzzsaw on their home floor, and they're going to be able to defend really well against the Lakers without their two best shot creators. So I would be on Memphis minus six. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash Jason T. That's FanDuel.com slash Jason T to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure you check out FanDuel.com slash Mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Um, Minnesota's now lost 7 out of 11 games, and they're having two primary issues. First of all, they can't score. They're 22nd in offense over that span. But they are not executing in the details of the game, which is what points me in the direction of coaching usually. They're giving up over 56 points in the paint per game, which is 28th in the league over that span. They're giving up 15 fast break points a game over that span. That's 19th in the league. They are uh, 24th in rebounding, 18th in second chance points, uh, uh, second chance points allowed, 24th in points allowed off of turnovers. They're just shooting themselves in the foot in the details of the game, which is making it so that they're losing a bunch of games that they should win. This is a game they should have won. They should have beat Charlotte the other night. Those details will cost you basketball games. And again, there's a lot of other issues with the Wolves. The fit is funky. 
uh, with Rudy Gobert. We've talked about that. I don't know where the hell Carl Anthony Towns fits in all of this. Mike Conley, you're getting kind of more or less what you'd expect. Like he's really struggling to put the ball in the basket, but he still is like that really sound and secure ball handler that's not going to turn it over and he's going to get guys in their spots and he's going to hit cutters when they move and it, it, it's just overall it's it what it is is he's just a league average point guard or worse at this point as he's declined so it's not enough to really solve any of their problems I just I look at this primarily as just reps for Anthony Edwards he's going to get more opportunity this season to have the ball in his hands and learn how to close games learn how to not settle for his jump shot as much as he has been, to learn how to not turn the basketball over when he overpenetrates into the lane. This, this is just valuable experience for Anthony Edwards, but this, this Timberwolves team in particular just isn't sharp enough in the details um, to string together some wins. All right, let's move up to uh, Clippers Nuggets. So we capped off an incredible weekend of hoops with a 134 to 124 overtime win for the Denver Nuggets over the Clippers. It was a wild game. The Nuggets jumped out to a massive lead and then the Clippers kind of worked their way back. There's a couple things in particular that was really helping the Clippers as they worked their way back. They went small and started switching everything. And then they did that Miami Heat post-defense thing that I always talk about. They were bracketing the post. So whoever got switched onto Jokic would just fight to front Jokic, which is, again, you get in, you, you get out in front of him, and you squat as low as you can, and you push back on his body so he can't jump, and you force them to throw a lob pass over the top. And if they don't get the lob pass high enough, you can rise up and contest like Russell Westbrook did when he got that steal. But if the pass does get over the top, if they throw it higher, you've got backside help coming. That, that makes that pass extremely difficult. They did a really nice job uh, swarming Jokic in those front and back uh, bracketing situations. And then Russell Westbrook had an outstanding third quarter shift. I thought it was one of his best shifts of this entire NBA season for him. He had a battle against Nikola Jokic in the uh, post where he fronted him and got a steal. Uh, there was another one where he got switched onto Jokic and a different shot went up and he won a box-out rebound battle against Jokic. Those are those little things with Russ that always uh, got glossed over by some of the more negative Laker fans. He still is one of the most switchable guards in the league because of his size and his strength and his athleticism and his competitiveness. The guy just doesn't like to lose one-on-one -on -one battles. It kind of snaps him into focus and, and makes him – he's won a lot of battles against NBA stars this season in the post. And then he just had an incredible off, uh, offensive shift under control, pressuring the rim, pushing the pace, taking smart jump shots. Like, like he took a, a little 10-foot pull-up jump shot that was really easy and open that he knocked down. He had one other pull-up jump shot that he missed, but it was a late clock situation where there was no other opportunity uh, to get a shot on the rim, so he had to shoot it. The three that he took on the right wing was like he passed up a three to swing to someone else, and then it got back to him, and it was the right shot in that particular possession. He just had an unbelievable shift and, and made a lot of plays. And again, it just for me as a basketball fan, um, it's been really fun to watch Russ play in a complimentary situation because he has strengths and he has weaknesses. And way too often we focus on the weaknesses and don't acknowledge that he has strengths. He still is one of the most switchable guards in the league. He still is incredible at pressuring the rim, pushing pace. He's still one of the best passers in the league. So if you can put him in a situation where teams cannot target his weaknesses as much, then his strengths will come to the forefront and he'll be a major positive impact. And I thought Russ was a major positive impact in this game. And then Ty Lue did what I've been saying that every team needs to do, just don't play him in crunch time so that you don't have to deal with the issues there. And they didn't. Of course, the Clippers had their other issues in crunch time having to do with Paul George, which we'll get to here in just a second. Uh, but I did think that that Russell Westbrook third quarter shift 
And then just in general, the uh, the Clippers swarming and bracketing Jokic helped them get back into the game. Then down the stretch, you know, Mason Plumlee comes into the game for the Clippers, and he actually makes a pretty big impact, showing some switchability out onto guards. He got a really nice stop on Jamal Murray. He was flying around on the glass, making plays on both ends, securing defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds. Uh, but then down the stretch, Jokic just started attacking Plumlee, and Plumlee couldn't hold him one-on-one. Big shock. Uh, he had like a drop step and one. He had like a nasty one leg fadeaway over his left shoulder. On the other end of the floor, Kawhi Leonard keep, just keeps talk, uh, uh, targeting Jamal Murray on switches and hitting post-up fadeaways. It was a really fun finish to this game, and then bad luck striked, uh, struck for the Clippers. Kawhi knocks the ball away from Jamal Murray. He ends up heaving up a half-court shot at the end of the shot clock, but Mason Plumley who was great rebounding the entire fourth quarter, missed one box out and lost a contested rebound battle to Contavious Caldwell-Pope, which led to Michael Porter Jr. hitting the three that put them up two, and then Paul George tied it at the foul line. Interesting play at the end of regulation. They were gapping Jokic off of, uh, off of Bruce Brown and leaving him kind of open on the right wing. But I thought there was still plenty of opportunity to Jokic for Jokic to try to make a play, and he, you know, did something that LeBron's been criticized a lot for, uh, for over the years. He just made the right play, swung it to Bruce Brown, who missed the three. But same thing I used to always say about LeBron: there are times where you're better off as the best player forcing up a tough shot than passing to a teammate that might have a much lesser chance, or might not be in a rhythm, or might not feel confident in that particular situation. I would have liked to have seen Jokic be a little more aggressive there, but that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. And the Jokic-LeBron archetypes, they're wired that way for a reason. And that sort of thing tends to play out positive in the long run as they continue to feed their teammates for great shots over the course of the game. OT is where it got really interesting. Because Kawhi was unbelievable down the stretch of this game. And then Paul George just took control. Randomly. At the end of regulation, he took a really tough pull-up jump shot that he missed. And then in OT, he took over the offense and made back-to-back pretty critical mistakes, in my opinion. First of all, he had um, he had uh, Bruce Brown on the right wing and took like a behind-the-back dribble step-back three to his right with like 10 seconds on the shot clock. And again, there's a, there's a time and place for tough shots. Because I do think they're an important part of NBA games. When you're in rhythm, meaning like I've made a couple in a row, my release is dialed in, I'm confident I'm going to take this tough shot even with 10 seconds on the shot clock. And then, which, which Paul George was absolutely not in that situation. He was not in a groove. Kawhi was the one who was in the groove. Kawhi was the guy it made sense to take and make tough shots. Paul George co-opted the game from Kawhi and took an impossible shot when he was out of rhythm. They go down, they don't get matched up. We had back-to-back situations here in this overtime period where Marcus Morris and Kawhi Leonard botched their matchups in transition because they weren't talking. Nobody picks up Jamal Murray. He walks in and knocks down a three, and the Nuggets are up four. Very next possession, Paul George goes down and throws some garbage lob to Mason Plumley, that's like two feet too high and Karen's off the backboard. And in the ensuing transition possession, Marcus Morris and Kawhi again don't communicate. They don't get matched up with Michael Porter Jr. He hits a three on the left wing and then the game is over. So kind of anticlimactic, very similarly to that Clippers-Kings game where there's all of this good Clippers stuff happening, but down the stretch, just execution on both ends of the floor falling apart. 
And, you know, Paul George, just in general, if you if you talk to Clippers fans, they'll tell you one of their biggest complaints with him this year has been his shot selection. Just too frequently taking impossible shots rather than easing into the game with easy shots and then taking those tougher shots as the game progresses. But then that and, like, you know, the Clippers have great defensive personnel. They've been vaunted as a defensive team over the course of this Kawhi Paul George era. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you have all the switchable wings in the world if you guys can't communicate and transition and get matched up. And for Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Morris, they've been, they've been playing together for too long. They've been in the league too long to not know that you have to communicate and transition about who you're matched up with. And those little mistakes end up costing you games, especially against teams like the Nuggets that are extremely sharp in their execution. The Clippers have now lost eight out of nine games against Denver since the bubble collapse. It's kind of starting to look like a mental disadvantage as well as a mismatch. Um, One of the disadvantages of having a very wing-heavy team is you can't physically match up with Nikola Jokic. And that puts you in a position where you have to constantly do janky stuff with your defense to load up on him, and then he can punish you with his IQ. And hitting open men, just like he did in that bubble series when they came back and win, uh, won. But, I mean, I'm looking at this now as, like, if the Clippers face Denver, uh, whether it's in the first round or second round, does anybody think the Clippers have a chance to win that series? I mean, the, 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 it's a bad matchup, and Denver just has kind of a mental advantage over them. They better hope that someone else beats Denver for them, or they, they, or they have no chance of getting out of this conference. Um, all right. So let's talk about Dame Lillard for just a few minutes before we get out of here. So he lit up the Blazers for 71 points last night. I, I don't want to talk too much about the actual specifics of the basketball. Um, the, Ro- the Rockets are terrible. So is Portland. And Dame is one of the best pull-up jump shooters in the league and he's going to get hot. Um, there's two things in particular I wanted to hit though, starting with that pull-up jump shooting thing. So, uh, one of my buddies, Eddie Gonzalez, he, uh, um, is the guy who's the co-host with Kevin Durant in, uh, that, uh, the ETC's podcast. And he tweeted this out last night and I thought it was an interesting question. He said, quote, what is your theory regarding the uptick in individual scoring this season? He just kind of presented that to everybody on Twitter. And when I saw that, I've, I've been thinking a lot about it last night and this morning. And to me, it really, it, I, I have one prevailing theory that keeps coming to mind. And it reminds me of when the Blazers beat the Lakers a couple, like a week ago. And they lit the Lakers on fire in their drop coverage. And Darvin Ham said after the, uh, uh, after the game, basically, that the team felt like they conceded the right types of shots. And that they were just a victim of variance. And there is some truth to that. Like, they, I think they played the Oklahoma City Thunder two nights later and lost because they missed all the same shots. But I believe that there is a disconnect at this point between what coaches think is a bad shot and what actually is a bad shot for these players. And I think a lot of the NBA coverages are designed to concede pull-up jump shots. For obvious reasons, you'd rather have a pull-up jump shot taken by a player than an easy driving layup or a kick out to a wide open shooter on the wing. So in theory, it sounds great. But the problem is, is that these players, I think the skill set of these players has reached a point now where what coaches think is a bad shot actually isn't that bad of a shot for these guys. Like I've seen Andrew Nemhart, a rookie for the Indiana Pacers, get hot and just barbecue drop coverage. He had a game against the Warriors earlier this year where he ran like 
35 pick and rolls for like 52 points or something like that. It doesn't matter whether or not you're a star. We have so many good skill guards in this league that on any given night, if a guy gets hot, it just renders everything useless and it's starting to happen more and more frequently. And I do think we're going to reach a breaking point here where the coaches of the NBA are going to have to sit down with their staffs and look at each other and go like, I don't know that we can force Steph Curry to take pull-up jump shots for an entire NBA final series anymore. That's going to beat us. I don't know if we can be like, oh, we won because we made Dame Lillard take tough shots. I don't know if we can be like, oh, we won because we made Jamal Murray take tough shots. I don't think that that's going to work anymore. And I think it's going to continue to get worse over the course of the next couple of years for these defenses until somebody adjusts. And now that's what the NBA does. If you look throughout NBA history, offensive ratings go up and down. The league average offensive rating right now is like 114 for any given team, right? And that's the highest it's ever been in NBA history. Now, there's a big wrinkle there in the just the math of the three-point shot. Like, I was uh, I was uh, talking about this the other day on my Twitter feed, but the, the NBA teams are attempting 29 more threes per game now than they were in 1988. So, when you consider those shots are worth 1.5 points for every one point of a different basket – you're going to obviously see an uptick in offensive ratings from the math. But even from this point, I do think we'll see things tick back down eventually, and it will happen when NBA defenses finally understand that they can't continue to run coverages that concede pull-up jump shots. NBA skill guards are just simply too good anymore. So that's obviously there's going to be a lot of factors at play, um, but I do think that that's my leading candidate for the main reason why we've seen a scoring uptick. I You'll see a lot of old heads say that, oh, teams don't play defense anymore. There's no hand-checking. I disagree with that. I think the game's a lot more physical than people realize. I'm on the J.J. Reddick side of things where I think the overall increase in athleticism and and just uh, schematic intelligence from these teams and switchability that I actually think defenses are better now than they've ever been. You know, think of it this way. Like, teams are averaging six points more per 100 possessions than they did in 1988 despite taking 29 more threes. Per game. That's like a pretty uneven balance there. That kind of increase in shot value should lead to a commensurate increase. At least half of that, right? Like at least like a 15, 16 point increase in offensive ratings just based on the fact that 30 more of those field goal attempts are worth an extra half point every time they go in, right? And just teams are hitting them at a league average, you know, 36, 37%. There's just no reason in the world why we shouldn't be seeing a higher increase in offensive ratings, except for the fact that defenses have gotten better. I think all of that wing athleticism and guys frighteningly covering ground in rotations has made it harder to score in a lot of different ways. And I think that's the point that J.J. Reddick's been trying to make. And, and so many times people look at it as a slight against the older generation. I don't see it like that at all. I, I, the way I look at it is, just like with any industry – there is a perpetual increase in competence as people learn from who came before. Okay, this doesn't work. We're going to do something different. Okay, this worked. We're going to replicate it. You know, like I, I'm not, I, I'm going to try like hell to not be the guy who's 20 years from now going like, oh, you know, back in 2023, they were playing the game the right way. You know, this, this garbage basketball now is just not going to cut it compared to who was playing back. I'm just, I, I don't want to be that guy. And, and, I, and I do think that there's a lot of, insecurity uh, from older basketball players who take it as a slight against them when it's like, no, you guys paved the way. Learning lessons from the way you guys played is the reason we play the game the way that we play today. 
Um, the last thing I wanted to hit was Dame's loyalty because it's been kind of it's been kind of a part of Dame's brand. He's really leaning into it. He had another interview the other day where he leaned into it pretty heavy, and I just don't get it because I don't look at I don't understand the idea of having loyalty to a franchise just because. To me, you have I look at it as a partnership. You know, like I don't look at Dame as an employee of the Blazers. I look at him as a partner of the Blazers. I think that players in general view it that way. Like, that's the whole point of the collective bargaining agreement. The Players Association and all the owners meet in the middle, and it's like, hey, let's do this together. And while Dame has some contractual obligations to the Blazers, those I, I don't think that that you have some sort of like employee type of loyalty to that specific organization. Yes, they drafted you. But to be clear, it's a, a, a an arrangement that's worked really well for them. You worked hard and became a superstar. Had you not, they would have traded you, just like they did C.J. McCollum. Like, there's no loyalty on their front. If you, Dame Lillard, was the 37th best player in the league instead of the 11th or 12th best player in the league, they would have been done with your ass a long time ago. That's just the harsh reality of this business. So the way I look at it is if I was Dame, I'd be looking at the situation as I am this freak competitor that has worked so hard in my career that I have become one of the 12 best basketball players in the world. On the other end of the spectrum, I've been playing at this level for almost a decade now, and Portland has been incapable of providing me with the necessary pieces to truly contend for a title. They've never gotten uh, brought in a competent defensive front court, which is like a prerequisite to compete in the NBA. In fact, they've been weak defensively in the front court the entirety of this tenure. They've never brought him a legitimate co-star that could consistently meet him at his level, especially in a playoff environment. In that large sample size of time, through good asset management and good scouting, they should have been able to do that for you. So in the same way that they would have dumped your ass had you not played well over the course of your career, I've, I think Dame should be looking for a different partnership. A partnership with a franchise that is competent enough to provide him with the resources he needs to contend at the highest level. That's, what, that's the reason why I'd be looking to go elsewhere. I, the, the, I think that the, we're missing the plot a little bit when we focus on loyalty to the franchise. Like I understand if you have a little bit of loyalty to the fan base, but that sort of thing can be cultivated off the court too. You know, those fans in Portland are forever going to love you. And I, I, would, I would venture to guess that many of them kind of would understand if you wanted to go elsewhere. But once again, at this deadline, the front office made you worse. And we don't really know what the plan is. You turned a really good rotation player, Josh Hart, into a long-term project in Cam Reddish and a player that's pretty offensively limited in Matisse Thibel. Like, what direction are they going? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? That's why I think Dame should be looking to go elsewhere. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. Here's the plan. We're going to be going live tomorrow night after, I believe, it's uh, Memphis Grizzlies versus the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll be live on AMP for that. Wednesday night, we're going late, uh, going live after the late games. Um, that should be Kevin Durant's debut with the Phoenix Suns as well as reported. We'll see. Uh, but we'll be live on AMP in the evenings the next two nights. As always, I appreciate your guys' support, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.
the volume. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your 5-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.